thing is, I went to college. <laughs> I have so much status. Book learning. I read Huxley in college. This land is your land. I studied Debussy and Sansan. You know what I've been thinking about in college? I read The Road to Serfdom with all this Hayek talk. That was the last time. Oh, yeah? I, I went to Albany State, Anna. Where did you go? I went to Stanford, home of the Hoover Institution. So maybe a liberal basket, oh, but there's certainly some conservatives on campus. You are such a bigger snob than me. <laughs> hey, you want to know who's a bigger snob than both of you? Who's that, Todd? McGill University, Montreal, Canada. How about that? Is that where you went? That's so that you didn't have to pay U.S. private school tuition, but you could go to a real Class A private school? You know, um, they sometimes call it the Harvard of the North, but they used that line on The Simpsons, and they told Lisa she could go to McGill. It's the Harvard of the North, and she said, I don't want to go to something of something else. So... (laughs) This is not the something of something else. This is, I don't want to say the Harvard of podcast, podcast. I don't want to say the Albany State of podcast either. So this is the something of something, something. else podcast. <laughs> it's a free country, the podcast. I'm Brian Lehrer with Todd Zwillick, Washington correspondent for The Takeaway, and Anna Sale, it's a free country political reporter, in which we compete to bring the most revealing politics sound bites of the week. That's right. And I have the winner from last week. Brian, you were on vacation. So it was me and Todd competing against Ben Smith from BuzzFeed. But I listened to the podcast from last week and Ben obviously cheated. He just went to the complete bottom feeding, uh, you know, road to to victory here because he had those clips that said uh, transvaginal um, having to do with that Virginia ju- uh, dust stuff. So I, I'm predicting... Let's see. Ben. Let's see if sex sold. Sold. Sex did sell. Sex did sell last week. But Ben Smith of BuzzFeed won with his montage of media pundits saying transvaginal ultrasound over and over again. Uh, we will. I, I would throw him. a yellow flag for cheating <laughs> if I hadn't done it myself on this podcast more than once. So uh, maybe I don't be a hypocrite. You, you just know your audience. You know, maybe that's what it yep. is. Yep. So. I will play my clip first this week, and this is the most revealing clip of the week because obviously we were talking about it leading into um, the actual podcast for right now, and that is the Rick Santorum statement about college from a campaign stop the other day and what he said about President Obama and college. Roll it. President Obama once said he wants everybody in America to go to college. What a snob. There are good, decent men and women who go out and work hard every day and put their skills to test that aren't taught by some liberal college professor and trying to indoctrinate them. Well, I understand why he wants you to go to college. He wants to remake you in his image. I want to create jobs so people can remake their children into their image, not his. So I don't know, guys. Nobody has done a poll, or I don't know how you could do a poll on this, but I'm thinking of all the working class class people around the country. Not that there isn't dignity in any kind of job if he's talking about 
you know, being a plumber, being a firefighter, whatever it is. So many of those folks, I think, dream of their children being able to go to college, not to mention in the emerging economy and how much high skills are needed. Um, who's his audience there? Was he really I, – I know he's playing on resentment of um, of of – elitism and, you know, the idea that uh, colleges have a liberal bias and they try to brainwash you. But that's different than saying Obama wants everybody to go to college. What a snob. I wonder if Senator Santorum, after six days or a week, guys, of being sort of ridiculed for this on the comedy shows and, and everywhere else, you know, even a lot of Republicans seem not to relate to this statement very well. I wonder if he didn't... Um, uh, see the error in that flourish himself. Because I, I noticed this week when he was making his concession speech in Michigan, which wasn't much of a concession speech after losing to Romney in Michigan, started the speech with a lengthy anecdote about his mother and about her education, her college degree, her master's, her graduate degrees, and her work experience. Um, hard to believe it was lost on him that he was telling this story uh, in Michigan when he had a stage in front of cameras and a crowd, that that was the anecdote he chose He chose to relate. Maybe he's pivoting, moving on from Michigan. Maybe it wasn't the best um, thing to try to reach um, an audience in Michigan that maybe has lower college graduation uh, attendance than other parts of the country. I don't know. But it, it seemed to me that, that he was making an effort to pivot away from it. And I think this is revealing not only for, uh, you know, for the actual content of the clip, but for the context in which it comes, because now that Rick Santorum is the not Romney of the moment, mm -hmm. um, here he is saying all of these things that I, I know they're, you know, they're red meat for liberal Democrats to snipe at. But I think that they're probably more than that, um, saying that the campaign is about theology and Obama believes in a false theology um, and then – talking about college. And what was the other one? There was another big Santorum thing this week where people were saying he said that. The JFK speech. That's the separation right. Of church and state. Yeah. Yep. Which, you know, I think even a lot of conservative uh, Catholic swing voters in America, those who are old enough to uh, remember JFK or those who have an impression of JFK, um, think that he largely got it right on religion. And so is Santorum, I think what's revealing here is uh, to learn that after Newt Gingrich took a lot of hits for just being too out of control, after um, Michelle Bachman, who once upon a time was going to be the not Romney, and then people realized how kind of extreme she was on a number of things, and going through this cast of characters, and Rick Santorum sitting in the background and being the steady, consistent conservative um, you know, he's pretty up there, too, on some of this stuff. And when he can do three of these things in a week, I think that we uh, it, it reveals that uh, Rick Santorum's going to have a lot of problems if he gets the nomination. Well, and we've talked about class warfare within the Republican Party on this podcast before. But there you have Rick Santorum, just this open sort of seething resentment about about college. And then Mitt Romney saying, you know, we want an opportunity society. We should celebrate upward mobility. Nobody should be punished for their success. I mean, what a contrast happening within the Republican Party and, and the, the dialogue about how we think about opportunity in this country. Um, one just interesting thing I thought in the, in the Michigan exit polls, 
Santorum won voters without a college degree only by two points over Romney. Um, but what's interesting, you look at the Ohio polls. There was a Quinnipiac poll out on Monday, and Santorum was leading Romney by 13 points. And I was trying to see where that was coming in. And it looked to be the break really was on whether folks had a college degree or not. Rick Santorum was leading Mitt Romney by 11 points in that poll on Monday. Um, of course, the polling was happening over the weekend, and a lot could change now after these two primaries that we've just had. But but just, you know, I, I think you're right, Todd. I think Santorum is going to pull back on this rhetoric. But it certainly seemed by the tone of his voice there that that was very deliberate and a very cynical grab for voters who, uh, you know, are feeling resentful and left out of the American economy. I've said this before, and I'll just say it again briefly, that when things like this happen and you see the contrast that Brian and Anna, you both are talking about, this this to me says less about the candidates, less about Rick Santorum, Mitt Romney, and Newt Gingrich themselves, because they're talented politicians. They, they, they don't do these things by accident, for the most part. Maybe a gaffe here or there. But this was strategy on Santorum's part. And to me, it says a lot more of the state of the Republican Party as perceived by the candidates going for their nomination and their internal polling than it does about the candidates themselves. Candidates always do what they can to brand themselves in the moment uh, and strategically as best they can with, with their target audience. And this, to me, reflects a Republican Party riven with divisions that are so deep that a lot of people are starting to think the party may be uh, largely unelectable on a national stage right now until they can reposition themselves in a more unified uh, in a more unified sense the way they used to be uh, eight eight and ten and twelve years ago i don 't know if that 's true, but that 's the set that you get as these things keep happening, and we keep having episode after episode that divides um, candidates away from what most people think is sort of mainstream American uh, moderate values. Um, this, to me, says more about the party than it does about Rick Santorum. Well, it's not just the Republicans. That brings me to my clip. President Obama made his own political pitch yesterday when he was talking to United Auto Workers in Washington who were holding their convention. The White House said, of course, this was not a campaign speech. They rejected that characterization. But take a listen to President Obama and, and him talking to this crowd of auto workers. The other option was to do absolutely nothing and let these companies fail. And you will recall there were some politicians who said we should do that. Some even said we should let Detroit go bankrupt. You remember that? You know? You know why I knew this rescue would succeed? You want to know? (laughs) It wasn't because of anything the government did. It wasn't just because of anything management did. It was because I believed in you. I placed my bet on the American worker. And I'll make that bet any day of the week. So there you have President Obama defending his auto bailout, which became a big part of the campaign conversation with the Michigan primary. But even before that, that has been a a critical piece of the Obama stump speech. It's the concrete economic turnaround that he claims as his administration's victory. And I think we're going to hear a lot more about the auto bailout with the Ohio primary next week on Super Tuesday. There are already ads running AFSME, the union that represents public workers, is running ads touting, talking about Romney's position on the auto bailout. Of course, Rick Santorum also opposed the auto bailout, but all these ads are targeting Romney. And so I think what's going to be interesting is to see the union politics in the Ohio primary. Uh, Rick Santorum won 
About a quarter of voters in Michigan were union households that came out. Rick Santorum won those in the Michigan Republican primary. Ohio, of course, you had last November the ballot issue about their Wisconsin-style collective bargaining law. That got rejected 60 to 40. But now there are polls saying that the state, that, that voters would support making Ohio a right-to-work state. So all this stuff is part of the mix in Ohio. You've got groups like Move On. You've got groups like Ask Me running ads about the auto bailout and uh, it's just going to be interesting to see who turns out in the Republican primary, how many union mem- members are claiming the Republican Party as their own, and if Rick Santorum, like in Michigan, is able to pull them to his side. Now, what's the polling on Ohio generally, Anna, for next week? Is this supposed to be a close race? Rick Super Santorum has a, has a double-digit lead so far, but these, including polls that came out today, but just after the Michigan and Arizona primaries. But that, that could shift, and a lot of voters are saying, I'm, I'm willing to change my mind. So it's, it's no telling where we'll be in a few days from now. I'll tell you what I took from that UAW speech, Anna, which I watched this week. Uh, as I know you did. Um, boy, was, boy, was Barack Obama on fire in front of that audience. I mean, he was just firing on uh, all 12 cylinders, if you want to use the uh, the bad auto metaphor there. <laughs> the crowd was with him. There was call and response. Uh, this was a level of enthusiasm. Now, granted, it is the UAW a core Democratic constituency. There's no doubt about that. But they don't have to be out of their seats and going nuts for a candidate the way they were. And they were going absolutely nuts for him uh, and, and, sh- and showed an, an enthusiasm for Barack Obama. And, and he was feeding off of them in a way that made me think, hey, is there a group, is there a single group in America that Mitt Romney could light up the way Barack Obama lit up the UAW? And I'm still trying to think of one. There, I mean, there's lots of groups that would be behind him, of course. But in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of just raw energy for a candidate, um, it was remarkable in that way because people can listen politely and clap and sit in their seats. But that's not what the UAW was doing for Barack Obama there. But I wonder how broad uh, that fire would burn, mm-hmm. you know, and what the UAW is an indicator of. Obviously, that would be a very, very sweet, sweet spot for Barack Obama. Given the auto bailout, the success of it, as perceived by the union, it's even being portrayed by Romney and other Republicans as a partial giveaway of the auto companies to the unions Mm. rather than just a rescue of the auto companies in the economy. Uh, So obviously they're going to be – that particular union is going to be big fans of Barack Obama right now. He's also got – a little bit of wind at his back with the relatively positive turns in the economy that we've been seeing recently. So after being so defensive just by the nature of events, uh, he's got something to crow about and he's got a reason to get up there and do a little rah-rah-rah on himself that people can actually cheer about. Whether that translates to victory in November, we've got a long way to go before we know that. Well, Brian, uh, speaking of President Obama's potential sweet spot with work with the UAW, with Michigan, with Ohio, this leads directly to my clip. And thanks for setting it up, uh, because that's exactly the question that I kind of went and turned around this week on some lawmakers here in Congress. And I'm actually speaking to you from the Capitol right now. After the president made that speech to UAW, I thought, wow, I mean, that kind of enthusiasm was remarkable. And I went to speak to some of the members of Congress 
who represent that part of the world, who know their constituents really well. I mean, it's their job to stay elect, so they know the attitudes of their constituents. They better, anyway. So uh, I talked to one member of Congress. Uh, you're going to hear from Candace Miller. She's from Michigan, from southeast Michigan. And I sort of was talking to her about the UAW and about the auto bailout. And uh, she starts speaking about the Midwest more broadly. Now, listen to Candace Miller and what she had to say about uh, how the Midwest is, is feeling about the economy right now. Feeling good. I mean, you think about uh, not just Michigan, but sort of the, as I hate, I hate that term, but people call it the Rust Belt, sort of the manufacturing states. Really, I think uh, we are all feeling pretty good because we build things. And I think as you look forward, particularly in a global economy, I really do think that Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania, that whole swath all through there, the really heavy manufacturing states are very well positioned to uh, come back in a very strong way because we do have to have manufacturing. Uh, and I think manufacturing is feeling uh, uh, optimistic about uh, the future. Now, that would be a pretty revealing clip after you heard the UAW speech if Candace Miller were a Democrat. But guys, she's a Republican. I was gonna Candace Miller is a Republican member of Congress from Michigan, and that's how she's talking about voter and worker attitudes and manufacturing attitudes across the Rust Belt, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Now that, to me, Brian, talks about President Obama's sweet spot. When you hear a Republican talking about her home turf like that, it makes you think that the president knows something about his sweet spot that was revealed at the UAW speech that's quite remarkable about this economy and about uh, his chances across the Midwest and the Rust Belt. Tell me more about her district. Is she in a particular stronghold for the UAW and that's why? Uh, or do you think this speaks to something broader based on the nature of her district? Now, Candace Miller has a Chrysler plant in her district. She's got a lot of auto workers. She doesn't call it the auto bailout. She calls it a bridge loan or the auto rescue, and that's just a choice of language, of course. Uh, <laughs> um, so, and, and to be fair, when you say, gee, Congresswoman, with all that enthusiasm uh, that you have in your district for the auto bailout and you say they have across the Midwest, it makes me think that President Obama is kind of hard to beat in your mind. And she says, well, people are going to vote on a lot of different issues besides this one. She's obviously not going to get four square behind Barack Obama. You wouldn't expect her to. Uh, but uh, in, in a district like hers, where there are lots of manufacturing workers, and, and she's sort of letting her mind roll to manufacturing workers across the manufacturing Midwest, in important states like Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania, um, it, it, it's remarkable to hear a Republican speak that way, a Republican with lots of workers in their district, not necessarily who they're going to vote for, but using the word optimism, using the word things are looking up, we're happy about the future, we're optimistic. These are emotional words. These are the words we say over and over that voters have in their hearts and their minds when they go to choose who they're going to vote for, those independent, gettable, uh, moderate voters, regardless of who they are. And for me to hear a Republican, even if she is from a manufacturing district, um, speak in those terms about optimism spreading across the Midwest was incredibly revealing to me, especially after I saw President Obama on that a stump at the UAW. Okay, Todd, I'll give it to you. That's a pretty revealing clip. <laughs> well, I was trash talking before we came on uh, <laughs> before we came on the podcast here. <laughs> you knew you had a good one. That is a pretty yeah. revealing clip. Although, you know, the, I, I'm kind of disappointed um, as a spectator. Not, you know, this is not taking sides for or against anybody, but that part of me that likes politics as a spectator sport, a little disappointed that Romney won Michigan. 
because it would have been just so entertaining to see the Republican Party um, start to panic and decide if they needed to get somebody else into the race or if they wanted to start to have a brokered convention, even though, as I think I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, I didn't think Michigan was as much of a bellwether of Romney's weakness as a lot of other people do. Yes, it's his home state, but it's still just one state and it has its particular politics and he could do better elsewhere and worse in other places. Um, but now it looks like none of that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing in Super Tuesday is, you know, what what's the Gingrich factor going to be? You know, does he, we you know, sort of wrestle his way back into some of the margins and, and keep, or does Rick Santorum keep his his place that he where he is has been as as the alternative to to Mitt Romney. Um but I think that Mitt Romney is certainly pleased going into Super Tuesday if Newt Gingrich re enters as he hopes to in some of the southern states, Georgia, Tennessee, maybe Oklahoma, then uh then that's that's just good for Mitt Romney. I'm looking at a Washington Post webpage right now that says unbowed or is it unbowed by Tuesday losses, Santorum counting on trio of Super Tuesday states to make his case. Trio of Super Tuesday states. And then the lead of this AP article says, Rick Santorum says he's counting on Washington State, Ohio, Oklahoma, and Tennessee to prove he can win across the country and best Mitt Romney for the Republican presidential nomination. So this trio of Super Tuesday states turns out to be four, (laughs) which are... Washington, Ohio, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. And at least uh, one or two of those are, I'd say Oklahoma and Tennessee, are also places where Gingrich is going to try to compete. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in, Rick Santorum has been successful in, in rural counties. You know, in, in Iowa we saw that. In, in Michigan we saw that. So does he? is that what he's banking on in, his, in Washington State? Is he doing this sort of rural strategy that worked elsewhere? And, and the manufacturing base in Ohio fits with that pitch that he's made. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, if he uses the same message in all of those states or if he keeps on this, you know, his social issues message. Um, he's saying he's going to shift back to the economy. But certainly in Michigan, it seemed like abortion was a big driver for his supporters to the polls there, um, 14 percent saying it was their top issue in Michigan and they backed Santorum. And I think this is where the um, failure to congeal around one not Romney by this point in the game, really helps Romney. Mm-hmm. Because if Gingrich had dropped out, uh, even if he didn't endorse Santorum, then Santorum would be able to run up much larger numbers in those states and yeah. probably more victories. Uh, or if Santorum, who was weak, it, you know, we, we forget so quickly that Santorum was, ha-ha, little Ricky Santorum for most of the campaign until he was uh, the only not Romney left for a moment or two there. Um, you know, if he had dropped out earlier and it was a standoff now between Romney and Gingrich, uh, especially with some of these southern states, then I think we'd be looking at an entirely different scenario, Todd, than we are right now. Well, for all of the um, antipathy we hear about between Newt Gingrich and Mitt Romney, um, some of the negative ads, you know, it seems like a different lifetime, but the attacks on vulture capitalism, which came from Newt Gingrich and his super PACs, all of that stuff, for all of that antipathy, which I uh, imagine is probably real. Boy, is Newt Gingrich doing Mitt Romney a favor in so protecting his right flank exactly. right now. now. I don't know that people supporting Newt and people supporting Rick Santorum are, the, are necessarily the same people, the same voters, and they're probably not the same. You know, they may wa- want different things from a candidate, but I think it's pretty logical to assume that 
um, if, if Newt were to not be in the race, a path of least resistance for a lot of his supporters is Rick Santorum. Not all of them, but uh, you can easily imagine if Newt weren't in this race that Rick Santorum uh, would have overwhelmed Romney in Michigan. You can easily imagine in Ohio, he's got eight point or so, you know, eight or ten point lead right now, which will probably erode over this week as we head into Super Tuesday. But without Newt Gingrich consistently gobbling up eight, nine, ten, twelve percent of the electorate in these primaries, um, a lot of those go to Santorum. And, and he's not like Romney, but boy, is he doing him a favor by staying in the race right All now. All right, we got to go. But real quick, does anybody believe the Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Mitt Romney conspiracy theory. Have you heard it? I haven't heard it. The theory is that Ron Paul is being very nice to Romney on the stump now with the idea that if Romney gets the nomination, he will pick Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, Ron's son, as his running mate. I don't believe that at all. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what will solidify it for me? Let's wait for Virginia. On Super Tuesday, where where uh, Ron Paul is one of only two candidates on the ballot, and if he wins that one and makes a strong showing and does it without trying to destroy Mitt Romney, then we'll maybe assume it's true. See you guys. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>